Morning. How's everyone? We don't normally do this, but I was wondering, if there's a row in front of you, I'm going to speak in today a little bit about how our spirit is willing and our flesh is weak. And I'd love us to do like a sort of a statement of our flesh is up for hearing what God's word is today. And if you've got a row in front of you that's empty, can you fill it? Is that all right? That means most of you guys in this three sections need to stand up. But just a statement of going, I want to listen to what God's got for me. Yeah, you can move. That, that's my stuff, but you can move that. Feel free. Don't be shy. I promise I won't bite. Okay, okay. So now some of you are sat at the back can now see me in full HD. So there we go. So my name's Luke. I'm one of the pastors here at Rev. And as Steph said, we've been, this is our final day of our Plan A prayer. So if you're visiting or this is your first time here, what we've been doing as a church over the last two weeks is we've set aside specific time to be praying at the start of the year. Seeking God for what he's got for us, thanking him for all that he's done, asking for wisdom for the things we might have in uh, in store for us ahead. We've set aside lots of evenings and stuff. We've got our final one tonight, our praise and prayer night. Please come and pray and and praise our Lord tonight. It's only an hour and it'll be wonderful, I guarantee it. Not because we will be there, but because the Lord will be there. It's an opportunity to praise him. And as he said, we've been looking at arguably, well, no, I would say the most famous prayer in the world, the Lord's Prayer. And we've been breaking it down section by section and sort of dissecting it to kind of get what is the, the meaning and implication of that. So I have got the, the joy of doing the final two lines, which is a tricky one, but we're going to read it together. So it's going to come, the words are going to come from behind me. It's from Matthew 6. There's a version in Luke, but we're going to, we've been looking at the version in Matthew, which is then pretty much identical. Um, so let's read this together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. So where we've broken it down into three sections, today is like the third part of our trilogy. So if you missed the first two parts, you can go and catch up on them on our website or uh, our podcast. Um, And the final two lines, as you can see, are leader and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So as in any part of a trilogy, it's important to know the context. So I'm going to quickly do a recap on what we've done over the last few weeks so that when we get to getting into the meat of what does this mean for us, then anyone who's missed it will be up to speed. Um, Because what Jesus has basically done for us here has condensed the gospel into 10 easy to remember lines. Now, many of you would have read or know the Lord's Prayer maybe from school. You might have heard it read at a funeral or a wedding. Many of you might even be able to recite it off by heart. But it's important as we delve into this to kind of get the the meaning. What was Jesus getting at? And that's why we've wanted to get into it. Um, So let me show you why it's such a great recognition of Jesus explaining the gospel to us. It starts, as Rich started a few weeks ago, of us acknowledging that God is our Father understanding his love and his control, that we should seek his plans above all else because they are perfect. 
moves on to recognising that he provides for us, for all our needs, a humbling of ourselves before him, acknowledging that he knows our needs and can provide for us, and then forgive us. Forgive us for all those times that we've mucked up, those times we've chosen to do what we've wanted, those times we've tried to turn our back on the Lord. How can we be forgiven? Because of Jesus. Because Jesus lived a perfect life without sin, with no need to seek forgiveness. And his perfect life he gave for us by going to the cross. And he did that because in the Old Testament, the priest had to offer up like a perfect lamb as a sacrifice to uh, atone or to pay for the price of the people's sin. Jesus was that perfect lamb given as a perfect sacrifice for all of our sin for all time. Everyone in here has fallen short of God's glory and is in need of that sacrifice. By him going to the cross, it enabled us to ask for forgiveness. And the Father, Father God, shows us grace and mercy when we haven't deserved it. Because he sees us washed clean, our sins forgiven. Jesus took the judgment of God upon himself. The judgment of sin that we should have, Jesus has taken that on him. And he's done that so that we might be called children of God. He sets us free from the shame and guilt we find in sin. Jesus has made a way for everyone in here to have new life. To start over. Because we all have sinned. All of us, if we were stood on our own right before God, we would have no right standing. But because of Jesus, we do. We can have a sure and certain hope of what our future is when we seek forgiveness and put our trust in the Lord. Because he will forgive us and welcome us in. Now, I was really struck, like many of you would have seen maybe Kanye West's uh, pronouncing of his faith over the last few years. And he's, I'm not a massive Kanye fan, but I listened to it because I thought I'd love to hear what he's, God has done in his life. And in one of his songs, Seller, he says, in one of the opening lines, he says, When I get to heaven's gates, I haven't got to peek over. And I just loved it because it showed something of him going, I understand the confidence I have in Jesus. I understand that what my life was like, that I have been forgiven and that when I get to heaven, I'm in because of Jesus's blood. So when we understand that Jesus has forgiven us for our past failings, as Steph was talking about last week, we should forgive others. We should give others, cancel the debt that stood against them because we have had the record that stood against us cancelled. And then, so you can see, that's eight lines. That is rich gospel. I could end my sermon here and we would go, oh man, Jesus is great, what he's done for us. <laughs> and then we get onto this bit. We hit where we're going to focus today. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Help us not fall back into sin, our old ways of thinking. Help us to not be taken over by Satan's plans, to live lives that glorify God. I'm going to pray now before I dig into it. But I want to say, if you're here today, and you've never sought the Lord for forgiveness, or maybe you have and you're not currently following the Lord, that Jesus has paid the price for your sin. He's paid it. And he says that all who call on his name can be saved. All who seek forgiveness can be saved. So as I speak today, please be just saying, God, I'll seek in him. See if, see if, wherever you might be here searching, I believe that God wants to speak to you and he wants you to know his forgiveness and his love. Let me pray. Jesus, I thank you for all that you've done for us. I thank you that you went to the cross for us. That you lived that perfect life and were a perfect 
replacement for our sin. Lord, I pray that as I open these scriptures this morning, Lord, that you'd help me to communicate what you want to say, Lord. The fact is, I've prepared a whole message, Lord, but ultimately we want your Holy Spirit to be speaking to us, Lord. So, Lord, let the words that I say be the words that you want, to, want people to hear, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So that's our setting. Now we're into lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, most of us would have an understanding of temptation. The diff- dictionary definition of temptation is the desire to do something, especially something wrong or unwise. And even if you're not a Christian, you would be used to temptation. You would go, common things you might hear at work or school or uni or a coffee shop. I'm tempted to have another slice of cake, even though I'm trying to be healthy. Who can say that in January? That's been one of mine. I'm tempted to buy that pair of trainers, even though money's a bit tight. Who can recognize that one? I'm tempted to whack that person standing on the wrong side of the escalator, but I know that whacking people is wrong. Uh, (laughs) I'm tempted to watch one more episode on Netflix, even though I know I should go to bed. Yeah? Well, that was the popular one. (laughs) But these are all temptations. We recognize it. Some think unwise or not very good for us. Now, these things are tempted that, like, they're not that good for us. They're examples of temptations that are ourselves or driven by the world. Um, I, they're, but they're not necessarily temptations that lead to sin. I don't think this is really what Jesus is getting at. But it was more just to say, look, we're used to, we understand the concept of temptation. So what does it look like when Jesus is saying it? Well, once we've done those first eight lines, once we've sought forgiveness from God, we recognize that how we were living was wrong. Part of that was going, I was getting this wrong. My parents taught me as a kid that sorry means you don't do it again. They wouldn't want me to say sorry unless in my heart I was committing to not doing something again. That's what I believe that God is doing for us. We're going, sorry, I'm not going to do that again. Because for those of you who have got kids, if your kid says sorry and you're thinking, they're going to do it straight away. You're like, what's the point in saying sorry? That's what God's asking us, to say sorry for what I've been doing. I won't do it again. So, Jesus is praying, lead us not into temptation after we've sought forgiveness. Which means an understanding that we are still humans. We still have fleshly desires which are kind of inbuilt in us since birth. Fleshly desires to go our own way. And we've put our trust in Jesus. He puts the Holy Spirit inside of us which gives these spiritual desires which are in line with what God wants. And we live in this battle of our fleshly desires and our spiritual desires willing. So when I said spirit is willing, our flesh is weak, that was us in the flesh going, I'm going to sit closer to Luke, which I'm hoping, which was coming in line with your spirit to go, I want to hear God's word. I want to hear what God's got for me. When we acknowledge that our spirits are willing and our flesh is weak, it's an acknowledgement. Yeah. Because we've been made new, we don't want to carry on sinning. Like our flesh does. Our flesh does. I'll tell you that. Your flesh will want to do things that are not good for you. But your spirit doesn't. That Holy Spirit that's placed inside you is, is wanting to seek the things of God. Because one day we will all have to stand before God. Follower of Jesus or not, we will all be judged. And I guess my question as we're starting this out is, knowing that one day we will all have to stand before God, would you want to pass up a way of standing knowing that you're completely forgiven? that all your unfaithfulness has been forgiven, that Jesus paid that price with his death. 
do you, knowing that, want to carry on living a life unfaithful to him? Because you're going to stand before him one day. (laughs) I hope your answer would be no. That's what I'm hoping in your hearts you're going, no, I don't want to do that. So this is where we're going to get to what I want to talk the, the two lines today. Now, there's a clear distinction to be made in this verse because it's very delicate in terms of what does this mean? Lord, lead us not into temptation. So I guess there's two certainties we can take from Scripture that you must remember this before we get into it. So number one, God does not tempt us. God does not tempt us. And two, but the Lord does lead us into situations where we will be tempted. Let me explain them, and then I'll get to actually what I think the, the heart of what Jesus is getting at. So number one, God does not tempt us. It says this in James 1, verse 13. It should come up behind me. It says, Let no one say when he is being tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be, temp- for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. The desires, when it is conceived gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. God never tempts. He never instigates temptation or causes temptation. God tempting us is completely against who we know and understand him to be. Does a good father lure his children into doing wrong or unwise things? No. That should be a unanimous no. (laughs) Thank you. So who's the tempter? Satan is the tempter. So he's known as in scripture, and our fleshly desires, our old ways of living, tempt us. But God does not. So that's clear. God does not tempt us. Likewise, we're praying, Lord, we're not praying, Lord, don't lead us into a situation of tempting. Why is that? Because the Bible is clear that we will face various temptations and tests of our faith. Now here's a good father example again. A good father might lead his children into situations where they have to choose either to do what their father wants them to do or what they want to do. Where the child has to go, I'm going to do what my dad says or I'm going to do what I want. I'll give you an example. So I, I allow my three-year-old daughter, Isabel, you would have seen her, to be in positions where if she is disobedient, she will get disciplined. I will allow Isabel to be in situations where she has a choice in that moment to obey me or do what she wants. Why do I allow her to be in that position? Because I'm daring her to be disobedient? No. Because I enjoy punishing her? No, I hate it. (laughs) But I know it's part of my job as a father. Is it because I want her to fall short of what I expect? No. I do it because I want to see that she's growing and learning more and more the things that Sarah, my wife, and I expect of her. So she's free, (laughs) so there's an awful lot of grace needed. But a year and a half ago, she would throw her food on the floor in defiance. Now, she doesn't. Did we used to sit there saying, go on, throw it on the floor? (laughs) (laughs) Trust me. In a rented flat with carpet, we did not do that. (laughs) Did we, this could have been a good idea, remove the temptation to throw food on the floor by not feeding her? (laughs) No. Of course, we did not do that. We would sit with her, we'd talk with her, we'd talk with what we expected from her, and then encourage her to resist the urge to throw that mashed potato on the floor. Now, I can say that a year and a half on, she does not throw her food on the floor. We've now got another child, and we'll probably have to do that again in the next few years. But she's learned through communication, through training, through testing and discipline, that that's not what we do. 
God does lead us into situations where we will be tempted. But it's so that we can conquer that sin through Jesus. We can stand set free from the grip of sin because Jesus has set us free. Jesus' death on the cross means that we can be tempted and not give in to sin because he has defeated it. Amen? Amen? (laughs) So, we're not praying, God, don't tempt us because he doesn't. And we're not praying, never let us be tempted because we know we will be. So what are we actually praying? We're somewhere in the middle. So, God leads us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. That's what we're praying. Into, I think, is one of the key words to, to operate, like the key like operating word. I'm not very good at English, but it's that operating, uh, what's the verb, noun, something like that. You know. <laughs> I haven't been in school for a long time. But I think that into is, is more like, Lord, lead us that we are not overcome or given over to our temptation. Essentially powerless to resist temptation and therefore falling into sin. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, who was a preacher was in the 1800s, he put it like this. He goes, first remember your own heart. A man who carries around gunpowder about him may well ask that he may not be led where the sparks are flying. There is a weak point in every one of us. And remember, the strength of a rope is to be measured not according to its strength in its strongest, but its weakest part. Therefore, because of weakness and inclination to sin, let each man pray and pray constantly. Lead us not into temptation. When we recognize that we have sinful desires, it should be obvious to pray that we are not led into situations where we are weakest, right? Yeah? We should feel no guilt and shame about being tempted. Temptation is a chance for victory over sin. To live like Christ and to look to the will of God over our own fleshly desires. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul writes this. He says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with temptation, he will also provide the escape that you may be able to endure it. How reassuring is it that God provides a way out of temptation? He delivers us from evil. So we must pray, please don't lead us into situations where we are powerless to temptation, that lead to sin, but deliver us from that evil. The Bible talks about those who continue to sin, that God essentially gives over to their fleshly desires, almost that he stops providing a way out because they're not looking for it. They've stopped praying, Lord, let me not, overcome by the, not, not be overcome by the power of temptation. We don't want to get into that position. We want to be constantly praying, Lord, let me have the way, will to fight. Let me not find myself stuck in this. So as we continue to pray this, we must, we must prepare ourselves to face temptation. As it says in the passage from James, we are tempted by our own desires. And our desires give birth to sin and sin to death. And the consequences of our giving into temptation, being unfaithful to God, is death. But this is what God says in Ephesians 2. He says, him being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins, made us alive together with Christ. Before we accepted Jesus... We were dead in our unfaithfulness to God. But by submitting to Jesus, by seeking forgiveness, God raises us from the dead and brings us new life. Can I get an amen for that? So if we're going to continue to pray, Lord, lead us not into temptations where we cannot resist, where we're powerless to resist. That's a continual prayer. But I want to help us look at what it looks like to resist temptations, that temptation to sin in the day to day. Because we're going to continue praying that. But we also, how do we prepare ourselves for when we do face temptations? 
Now, just before Jesus taught the Lord's Prayer, he'd been out in the wilderness for 40 days and nights fasting. So if you turn to Matthew 4, if you've got a Bible or your phone, it's sometimes good to actually flick there yourself. It will come up on the screen behind you if you don't have a Bible, but I'm going to pause for 10, 15 seconds whilst you find it on your phone or your Bible. So I'm going to read this. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answers, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, sat him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on the other hands they will on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put your Lord God to the test. Now again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you, if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God. And him alone shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and were ministering to him. So you notice a few things from this passage. Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted. But key, who was the protagonist in the temptation? The devil, Satan. And notice that Satan tempts Jesus with the things that his flesh most likely desired. First off, he tempts him with food after fasting for 40 days. I fasted for one day this week as part of Plan Air. And if I had the power to turn stone into bread, I could have easily been tempted by about four o'clock. Jesus, 40 days in. 40 days. 24 hours was enough for me, but 40 days, man. Then the last one is Satan tells Jesus that if he bows down to him, he will be given all authority and glory. Satan's offering him a way to bypass going to the cross and receive glory still. But Jesus responds by saying, you shall worship the Lord your God and him alone shall you serve. Jesus, in the face of massive temptation, stays faithful to God. He doesn't give in to his fleshly desires. His body would have been hungry after 40 days, but Jesus is committed to carrying out God's will and not his own. In Matthew 26, Jesus even pleads with the Father about having to go, with the, go to the cross. If it is possible, let this cup from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you do. That's what Jesus is saying in Matthew 26 when he's in the garden of Gethsemane, the day before he's going to the cross. If there's any way for this to pass by, let it be. But Lord, your will be done. Jesus was a man not about his own fleshly desires, but doing the will of the Father. Which means when temptation comes, he was able to resist. In Hebrews 4, it says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Jesus lived a sin-free life, despite being tempted like we are. All the temptations we face, Jesus also faced. 
But because of his sin-free life, given as a sacrifice for us, we are able to receive grace and mercy when we need help. Jesus understands and can help us. He is the perfect example of what it means to stand firm and stay faithful to God in the face of temptation. So from this, this account we can see pretty straightforwardly, I think in some cases, how Jesus was able to resist temptation and avoid feeling it, falling into sin. He didn't do it by sheer willpower. Neither can we. And if we think we can, we've already lost. He uses the ultimate weapon against Satan, against Satan's lies, which we all have access to. He uses God's word. This. Our Bibles. You might have a, like a, an actual Bible. You have it on your phone. That's what he uses. In Hebrews, it also says that the God's word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. What it's saying is it's sharper than a two-edged sword. It pierces between our spirit and our joints and marrow, our spirit and our flesh, and cuts right to the heart. When we allow the word of God to have this kind of effect on us, we find ourselves being able to discern what is our fleshly desires and what are our God-given desires for any situation. We must spend time reading and meditating on God's word. Jesus, what does he quote back at Satan? Scriptures. That's what he does. When Satan comes and lies to him, he quotes back scriptures. Even when Satan uses scripture, Jesus quotes back more scripture to go, no, you've got this one wrong. We need to be able to do the other same, to do the same. Otherwise, we're just easy pickings. Easy pickings. If this is our best weapon for fighting temptation and being delivered from evil, but we have no understanding of it or aren't spending time in it, how are we supposed to use it? So my brother-in-law, he's in the army. And um, before he was even part of the army, he had to do 14 weeks of basic training. And from chatting to him, it was brutal. They learned everything from how to keep their room tidy to shooting a target from 200 meters and everything else in between. Now, after the enrollment, they don't suddenly stop all of this training and these disciplines they've learned. They keep practicing it so that it becomes second nature to them, which means when they find themselves in a war zone or in battle, they are ready for what comes because they're prepared. They've been diligent. They still practice shooting. They still practice keeping their room tidy. They still practice fitness, which means they are ready. Could you say, honestly, that when you are tempted, you are ready to fight? That you are preparing yourselves for potential battles? We can't expect to win through when temptations face us if we aren't training ourselves for these situations. Jesus lived a sinful life. And when tempted, we've held. Sin, sin, sinless, sorry. <laughs> Jesus lived a sinless life. Amen. Amen. <laughs> and when tempted from giving in, he was prepared for the battle. We must be too. Jesus went into the wilderness. He was, he was 30 years old. He spent those previous 30 years preparing himself for that battle. So not only do we have God's word as our weapon, but when we put our trust in him, we receive the Holy Spirit who lives in us. 
The Holy Spirit is given to us as a helper. So we might live lives according to our spiritual desires rather than our fleshly ones. The Holy Spirit is able to work out God's will, help us work out God's will in any given situation. So we must be constantly asking the Holy Spirit to make clear the way to help us resist temptation. That's how, that's how we won't be overcome by the power of sin, by the power of temptation. How can you practice like discerning what the Holy Spirit is doing? Just practice it in your day to day. Lord, which, which way should I walk down the street today? I know it sounds silly, but if you get used to asking the Holy Spirit to lead you in very simple steps, how much more when you find yourself in a bit of trouble and you're like, I don't know what to do here. You're, you're so used to it. It's part of your practice. I'd really encourage you to do it. It will sound strange going, Lord, which way should I walk? But trust me, you'll start to grow in that practice. So we have God's word and God's spirit. And now I want to just give a few practical things, which I think are just practical ways that we can live out how to resist temptation. I think we need to daily acknowledge our sinful desires, bring them before God. We are only aware of our sin because the Holy Spirit are working us. And, to keep, and for us to keep bringing them before God puts it off our forefront of our mind and it helps us put aside so we can live lives that glorify him. For example, if I was saying I'm not going to eat chocolate tomorrow, it's important for me to remind myself first thing in the morning, I'm not going to eat chocolate today because otherwise I could get halfway through the day and have forgotten that that's something I've decided to do. Do you know what I mean? So it's just going, Lord, I'm bringing this before you because I know this is my struggles. You don't want to become slave to it, so just bringing it before him. We need to take practical steps to thwart Satan's schemes. Now, this may mean for you, in your situation, removing certain things that cause you to sin. It might mean removing food from your home. It might mean removing alcohol from your home. It might mean installing some software on your laptop, getting rid of your smartphone, asking someone to help you look after your finances. In my running partners, whenever we felt tempted... We always encourage each other to bring it into the light. Because we realise there was no guilt and shame in the temptation, but something about bringing that temptation into the light, it suddenly lost all its power. It wasn't that anything special necessarily happened, but we just went, I'm feeling tempted, guys. Can you just, I just want to put it out there. Because we knew that, one, we would keep each other accountable. And by bringing something to the light, the, the darkness can't overcome it. Satan loves it when we keep things in the dark. That's where he feels powerful and comfortable. As soon as you bring it into the light, he doesn't want to go there. That's where Jesus is. Just bring it into the light. If you haven't got people you feel that you could be accountable with, we've got running partners at Rev, which are like groups of two or three people who sort of gather weekly to encourage and challenge and pray with each other. I'd encourage you to get in a running partner. If you haven't, just find some people you can be accountable with. Saying, I'm feeling tempted. Because I believe you will find such freedom in that. And then we need to continue to pray for protection. We are in a war. Satan is doing all he can so that we might turn our backs and give in to our own fleshy desires. He's lost, but it's almost like he's going down and he's trying to do what he can as he's going down. But know this, he has been defeated. Jesus has the victory. He did it at the cross. And who he sets free is free indeed. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, we're going we're to finish up there. Just, I just, if the band can come up, that would be great. I want to finish with things, because I know it can be a bit heavy talking about temptation and sin. It's important that we acknowledge it. But I want to give some hope to help us praise. One of the key things with temptation and sin, which we will all face and all have sinned, is Jesus' death 
His blood shed for us cleanses us. His perfect life was given that we might be washed of our sins. It says this in 1 John, The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. If we consent, confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This means that when we confess our sins, because of Jesus' death, we can stand boldly before God. Our sins forgiven, our slate wiped clean. This should fill us with such hope. Because if we try to live a life that is perfect, sin-free, we would fail. But because of Jesus' perfect life, given as a sacrifice, we can live in confidence knowing that we are saved, not by our own works, but by his grace. Amen. Amen.